Today is Thursday, February 22nd, and this is the World Socialist website. Alabama Court Ruling on Embryos, A Sweeping Attack on Democratic Rights and Science by Patrick Martin. The ruling issued Friday by the Alabama State Supreme Court, declaring a frozen embryo to be a person under state law, is a sweeping attack on science, democratic rights, and the constitutional separation of church and state. At the same time, the passive indifferent response of the Biden administration to this ultra-right provocation demonstrates again that no section of the capitalist political elite, including the Democratic Party, will defend democratic rights. This vital political task must be taken up by the working class. The state Supreme Court decision came in response to a civil suit for damages by parents whose embryos were accidentally destroyed at the laboratory where they had been stored for in vitro fertilization, or IVF. A lower court had rejected the suit, ruling that an embryo was not an unborn child, as defined in the state constitution. A referendum approved by Alabama voters in 2018 inserted a ban on abortion into the state constitution, which took effect after the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision in 2022, appealing Roe v. Wade. The state's highest court overruled the lower court decision, declaring in Orwellian language that fertilized embryos, clusters of protoplasm as small as 100 cells, were extrauterine children, entitled to the same protection under state law as a living, breathing child in a schoolroom. The ruling was outrageous both legally and constitutionally. It purported to use an 1872 state law, allowing parents to sue over the death of a minor child and apply it to embryos created by IVF, a medical technique only developed in the 1970s, more than a century later. This will have the practical effect of ending IVF in the state of Alabama, since doctors, clinics, and parents would all fear being held liable for the destruction of embryos, a frequent byproduct of the fertilization process, during which embryos with genetic abnormalities or those left over after successful implantation are generally discarded or donated for research. In response to the ruling, the state's largest hospital system, University of Alabama at Birmingham, halted all IVF procedures out of concern that, quote, our patients and doctors could be prosecuted criminally. IVF is one of the most important medical advances of the past half century, with millions of successful implantations leading to the birth of healthy children. In 2021, the last year with complete data, nearly 100,000 babies were born in the United States through the use of IVF. But even if some fertility clinics managed to survive in Alabama, the court's decision drastically increased the difficulty and expense of IVF, which is already $15,000 to $20,000, an enormous burden on working-class parents who want children. Resolve, the International Infertility Association, described the decision as, quote, a terrifying development for the one in six people impacted by infertility who need in vitro fertilization to build their families, unquote. And it warned, quote, this ruling has profound implications far beyond Alabama's borders. Every American who wants or needs access to family-building options like IVF should be deeply concerned about this development and the precedent it will set across this country, unquote. 
The Alabama ruling is a direct consequence of the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, the watershed 1973 Supreme Court decision which struck down anti-abortion laws across the country. Dobbs also called into question the earlier 1962 decision in Griswold v. Connecticut, which struck down a ban on contraception in Connecticut and for the first time acknowledged a constitutional right to privacy. There were spheres of life, including decisions on reproduction, into which no government, at state or federal level, could intrude. Now it is clear that ultra-right courts will not admit to any limitation on the repressive powers of the capitalist state. Constitutionally, the ruling is in brazen defiance of the First Amendment, which begins with the words, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This prohibition was extended to the states by the 14th Amendment, which incorporated all the amendments that constitute the Bill of Rights. But the 138-page ruling is clearly based on Christian fundamentalist religious principles, which will now be imposed on the people of Alabama, regardless of their own views. Even in Alabama, the state with the highest percentage of evangelicals, that figure only comes to 49%, according to a recent report by Pew Research. The concurring opinion by Chief Justice Tom Parker openly quotes the Bible, including Genesis and the prophet Jeremiah, as the basis of his quote-unquote legal opinion. Parker wrote, quote, Human life cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of a holy God, who views the destruction of his image as an affront to himself. Even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God, and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory, unquote. Interviewed on a podcast espousing the fascistic QAnon conspiracy theory uploaded last Friday, the same day as the ruling, Parker declared, quote, God created government, and that it's heartbreaking that we have to let it go into the possession of others, unquote. He then invoked the Seven Mountain Mandate, another fascistic trope calling for a takeover of seven key areas of American society, religion, education, family, government, economy, media, and entertainment and arts, while asserting that, quote, the Holy Spirit is there, unquote, when he takes action as chief justice. This type of religious claptrap boosts the so-called personhood movement, which seeks to establish legally that human life begins at fertilization. The first step was the definition of the fetus at every stage of its development as a human being. Now embryos stored in a laboratory are described as, quote, little people, unquote, according to Parker, in a lab as a, quote, cryogenic nursery, unquote, according to the court opinion. Eleven states have so far adopted personhood legislation. The Biden administration has not lifted a finger against the deluge of right-wing legislation which has followed the 2022 Dobbs decision, nor has the Democratic Party. They make use of the issue as a vote-getter in elections, appealing to the broad popular support for abortion rights, but they do nothing in practice to defend it or any other Democratic right. The White House issued no statement on the Alabama ruling, and press spokesman Corinne Jean-Pierre devoted only one paragraph to the subject at a press briefing conducted while Biden was making yet another trek through California, shaking the billionaire money tree for his campaign. He made remarks behind closed doors at the home of billionaire Hollywood Zionist Haim Saban Tuesday night, then spoke at several more fundraisers in the Bay Area Wednesday. This passivity is of a piece with Biden's response 
to the open usurpation of federal authority by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who has ordered the Texas National Guard and state police to turn back migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border, defying the Constitution, which clearly makes the federal government supreme in all questions relating to borders and immigration. Biden could federalize the National Guard, removing it from Biden's control, and bring other state governments to heel for defying the Constitution and attacking democratic rights. But he does nothing, still seeking bipartisan agreement with congressional Republicans on a huge increase in military spending on the war against Russia and Ukraine. In effect, he is allowing a vast area of the country, ruled by Republican governors and Republican-controlled state legislatures, to carry out the policies espoused by the fascist Republican presidential candidate, ex-President Donald Trump. The Alabama ruling will resonate with religious fanatics opposed to the separation of church and state and anti-vaccine, anti-science demagogues like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They feel they can run amok with the backing of the U.S. Supreme Court and the spinelessness of the Democratic Party and the Biden administration. But for the working class, the attack on abortion rights and other elements of reproductive freedom, such as in vitro fertilization and contraception, must be seen as a deadly threat to democratic rights, and workers must act accordingly. This means establishing the political independence of the working class from the capitalist two-party system, whether represented by open fascists like Trump or supposedly liberal representatives of the corporate oligarchy like Biden. The central question is to mobilize the strength of the working class in political struggle against the entire capitalist system and its political defenders on the basis of a socialist program. Gaza becomes a death zone as UN suspends humanitarian aid to hundreds of thousands in the north. By Jordan Shilton. The United Nations World Food Program, or WFP, announced Tuesday the suspension of all humanitarian aid to the northern parts of the Gaza Strip. The estimated 400,000 people still languishing in Gaza City and the surrounding areas have barely received any aid for months due to Israel's blockade. Reports have surfaced of families surviving on animal feed. Deliveries only resumed Sunday after a three-week pause prompted by the bombing of a UNWRA truck by Israel. The WFP statement announcing the latest suspension observed, quote, the plan was to send 10 trucks of food for seven straight days to help stem the tide of hunger and desperation and to begin building trust and communities that there would be enough food for all. On Sunday, as WFP started the route towards Gaza City, the convoy was surrounded by crowds of hungry people close to the Wadi Gaza checkpoint, first fending off multiple attempts by people trying to climb aboard our trucks, then facing gunfire once we entered Gaza City. Our team was able to distribute a small quantity of the food along the way. On Monday, the second convoy's journey north faced complete chaos and violence due to the collapse of civil order. Several trucks were looted between Han Yunus and Deir al-Arbala, and a truck driver was beaten. The
The remaining flour was spontaneously distributed off the trucks in Gaza City amidst high tension and explosive anger. After predicting in December that inhabitants would face a famine by May if the situation did not radically improve, the agency reported, quote, unprecedented levels of desperation, unquote, for residents in the North this week. A report released by the WFP and UNICEF Monday revealed that one in six children in the northern Gaza Strip under the age of two are acutely malnourished. This horrendous situation is the deliberate outcome of Israel's genocidal onslaught on Gaza, which has already claimed the lives of well over 30,000 people. The official death toll rose above 29,300 Wednesday, with another 7,000 people declared missing and presumed dead. Since the beginning of the bombardment last October, Israel has intentionally prevented aid from reaching Gaza, using food as a weapon of war. In November, Gioria Island, the former head of Israel's National Security Council, published an article in which he advocated the use of starvation and disease to decimate the population. He wrote, quote, The international community warns us of a humanitarian disaster in Gaza and of severe epidemics. We must not shy away from this, as difficult as that may be. After all, severe epidemics in the south of the Gaza Strip will bring victory closer and reduce casualties among IDF soldiers, unquote. As the World Socialist website noted at the time, this policy is akin to the strategy of the Nazis during World War II towards the Jews, who were left to rot in the ghettos, where many died of starvation and disease before their survivors were shipped to concentration camps. While the levels of hunger and disease in the north are especially extreme, the situation facing Gaza's entire population is horrific. World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom Cabreas described Gaza Wednesday as a death zone. He added, quote, The health and humanitarian situation in Gaza is inhumane and continues to deteriorate. UN Special Rapporteur Francesca Albanese referred to a, quote, total collapse of civil order, unquote, across the enclave. Noting the WFP's decision to suspend aid to the north, she added, quote, Imagine, as a parent, having to fight to get food for your child who is dying of hunger. Shame on all of us for allowing this betrayal of humanity. Al Jazeera spoke to a mother living in the playground of a UNRWA school in the Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza, who was being forced to feed her eight-person family on fried pancakes made from ground animals. She said, quote, This food is insatiable. My little one wakes up at night screaming from hunger because only bread fills the children's stomachs. Today I found this corn flour, and maybe I won't find it tomorrow. The situation is getting worse day by day. Our situation is very miserable, unquote. At the Al-Nasir Hospital in Han Yunus, a joint mission by the UN's Office for the Coordination of Terrian Affairs, or OCHA, WHO and Palestinian Red Crescent uncovered, quote, appalling conditions, unquote, while evacuating the most seriously injured patients after a weeks-long siege by the Israel Defense Forces, or IDF. OCHA official Jonathan Withall remarked, quote, There are 150 patients in one of these buildings. They have no food and water, no electricity. There's very few doctors and nurses that are remaining inside this hospital. There are dead bodies in the corridors. Patients are in a desperate situation. 
This has become a place of death, not a place of healing. Amid this misery, Israel's daily bombardments continue. A strike on a family home in Rafah Tuesday night killed a human rights lawyer with the Palestinian Center for Human Rights, Nor Nasser Abu al-Nar, and seven members of her family. The organization said she played a role in documenting human rights abuses and fighting injustice, strikes on the Zaytun neighborhood of Gaza City and Nuzaret refugee camp in the central Gaza Strip, killed at least 12 people Wednesday, including a journalist and his wife. The catastrophe confronting the Palestinians in Gaza continues to worsen due to the unrestrained support extended to Israel by U.S. imperialism and its European allies. On Tuesday, as the reports of mass starvation were pouring out of Gaza, Washington used its veto in the U.N. Security Council to block a resolution calling for a ceasefire. The vaguely worded text proposed by the U.S. instead of the original text submitted by Algeria called for a ceasefire, quote, as soon as is practicable, unquote. That is, at the discretion of Israel's far-right government that has repeatedly declared its intent to conduct a genocide against the Palestinians. War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz reiterated Wednesday Israel's readiness to launch an all-out offensive on Rafah during Ramadan. At least 1.4 million people are crammed into the city, which was home to just 280,000 prior to Israel's bombardment. A ground offensive would force the Palestinians from their last refuge in Gaza, realizing Israel's plan to ethnically cleanse the enclave in order to establish Jewish settlements and direct security control. The imperialist powers' endorsement of the savagery is linked to their pursuit of a region-wide war targeting Iran and its allies. The Middle East is rapidly emerging as one front in the imperialist powers' redivision of the world, which is being driven by the intractable contradictions of the capitalist profit system. Further U.S. airstrikes against the Houthis in Yemen were reported Wednesday, while Israel carried out a strike on Damascus that was allegedly aimed at a senior Hezbollah official. Washington is determined at all costs to consolidate its dominance over the energy-rich Middle East against its rivals, above all, China and Russia, even at the cost of a regional bloodbath. The only social force capable of bringing an end to the misery of Gaza's population and stopping the descent of the Middle East into war is the international working class, mobilizing the mass opposition to Israel's genocide that has been expressed by millions of people and demonstrations around the world over recent months. Workers must fight to halt all military supplies and production destined for Israel. The urgent task is the building of an international anti-war movement to stop the genocide and the imperialist escalation of a third world war by advancing a socialist program to put an end to crisis-ridden capitalism. Vote uncommitted, a democratic pseudo-left ruse to swindle opponents of genocide into voting for Biden in November, by Jacob Cross. As President Joe Biden continues to hemorrhage support among broad layers of the population over his unyielding support for the U.S. NATO-backed Israeli slaughter and starvation of Palestinians in Gaza, pseudo-left forces have been activated in an attempt to save Biden's presidential campaign. In 2016, Hillary Clinton lost Michigan 
and its 16 votes in the Electoral College to Donald Trump by just over 10,000 votes. In the 2020 election, Biden's victory over Trump in Michigan was roughly 154,000 votes. This battleground state has the highest percentage at 2.2% of Arab Americans in the United States and the second most in the country by population behind California. A 2020 exit poll conducted by the Council on American-Islamic Relations found that 69% of registered Muslim voters selected Biden, while only 17% chose Trump. In the 2016 election, Trump received a similar margin, 13%. However, since October 7th, polling by major media organizations and political groups has shown that at least two-thirds, if not more, of Muslim and or Arab Americans indicate that they will not vote for Biden, with many open to a third-party candidate. Sections of the ruling class are terrified that widespread disgust with Biden and the Democratic Party over the genocide in Gaza will result in masses of workers and youth not only refusing to vote for Biden, but breaking with the Democratic Party entirely and looking for new independent forms of struggle. While the Socialist Equality Party fights to develop the anti-genocide protests into a conscious movement of the working class against the government and the capitalist system, the source of inequality, war, and fascism, pseudo-left elements respond to the historic breakdown of the capitalist system with cynical political maneuvers aimed at rescuing the Biden campaign and channeling disaffected workers and youth back behind the Democratic Party. Leading the cheering section for Genocide Joe is Democratic Socialists of America member and Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Since the start of the new year, the phony socialist from New York has appeared on podcasts and cable news shows to trumpet the alleged accomplishments of the Biden administration and tell the world that her support for Biden's re-election in November is a easy decision. Ocasio-Cortez's fulsome support for Biden was recently profiled by Philip Elliott for Time magazine in an article published February 16th titled How Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Became One of Joe Biden's Most Valuable Boosters. Elliott wrote, quote, AOC's main job in 2024 may be President Joe Biden's most valuable pinch hitter. He continued, quote, as mainstream Democrats were tearing out their hair over new questions over the president's mental acuity, there was Ocasio-Cortez on Tuesday not only reaffirming her backing of Biden, but not so suddenly slapping down those in her wing of the party, screaming for him to step aside. She told CNN, quote, I know who I'm going to choose. It's going to be one of the most successful presidents in modern American history, unquote. Elliot added that when, quote, needed the most, unquote, Biden's allies, quote, include Ocasio-Cortez as part of the establishment defense, unquote. While AOC is overt in her support for Genocide Joe, other members of the squad, the self-declared progressive and left-wing representatives in Congress, are supporting Biden through less overt means. In the state of Michigan, which is scheduled to hold its Democratic primary on February 27th, this has taken the form of the Vote Uncommitted campaign. Unlike many other states, Democratic primary voters in Michigan have the option to choose uncommitted on the ballot in addition to Joe Biden, Marianne Williamson, and Dean Phillips. There is no question that, despite widespread anger, Biden will win the Michigan primary on Tuesday. Williamson has already suspended her campaign, and Phillips, who has marketed himself as a younger version of Biden, 
has yet to garner any support beyond the margin of error. Fearful that disgust with the support by Biden and the Democrats for ethnic cleansing will lead to widespread abstention not only in the primary, but also in the general election, Representative Rashida Tlaib, former Michigan Representative Andy Levin, the Democratic Socialist America, or DSA, and what remains of our revolution, which emerged out of Senator Bernie Sanders' 2016 political revolution, have called on Michigan voters to select uncommitted on February 27th. The New York Times reported on February 14th, our revolution calls for protest vote against Biden in Michigan. Speaking to the Times, Levin, a decade-long veteran of the AFL-CIO bureaucracy before ascending to the House of Representatives, spelled out the purpose of the campaign. Levin told the Times, quote, I am working with some people who feel like they will never vote for Joe Biden, but there are many, 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 I feel, will vote for Joe Biden on November 5th if he changes course. This is the best way I can help Joe Biden. Doing her best to help Joe Biden in a video posted on February 17th from Dearborn, Michigan, Representative Tlaib, who was censured by her fascistic Republican colleagues, as well as some fellow Democrats after October 7th, for meekly speaking out against the Israeli slaughter of Palestinians in Gaza, said it was important to create a voting block by voting uncommitted in the primary. Tlaib said, quote, This is the way you can raise our voices. Right now we feel completely neglected and just unseen by our government. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted. It should be noted that Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American member of Congress, on the eve of her censure vote, made a point in an interview with the Detroit Free Press of denouncing Hamas's October 7th incursion into Israel as a, quote, war crime, just like the collective punishment of Palestinians right now is a war crime, unquote. The DSA and its various social media and graphics teams released several copy-paste statements declaring their support for the uncommitted campaign. The DSA wrote, quote, we can and must fight back right inside the halls of power. That's why we call upon all comrades to call their Congress members, unquote. To this end, the DSA has scheduled virtual phone banks to get out the vote for uncommitted. Additionally, the youth section of the DSA held a rally at the University of Michigan on February 20th. Despite heavy coverage of the uncommitted campaign on cable television and promotion by various pseudo-left forces, only a few dozen students participated in Tuesday's rally at the college. Addressing the small crowd, Levin said it was time to, quote, turn from war to diplomacy. At long last, Joe Biden, you can become a much greater president by leading the turn to peace, unquote. After a muted response, Levin pleaded, quote, text all your friends all across the state, all the campuses across the state. Get out there and vote. Don't stay home, unquote. The same day the rally was held in Ann Arbor, the New York Times, the unofficial press organ of the Democratic Party, published an opinion piece by the Democratic mayor of Dearborn, Abdullah Hamoud, in support of the uncommitted charade. Hamoud wrote, quote, My greatest fear is that Mr. Biden will not be remembered as the president who saved American democracy in 2020, but rather as the president who sacrificed it for Benjamin Netanyahu in 2024. Hamoud continued, quote, it is for that reason that I will be checking the box for uncommitted on my presidential primary ballot next Tuesday. In doing so, I am choosing hope. The hope is that Mr. Biden will listen. If the last four months of global mass protests have proven anything, 
it is that hope and moral appeals to the perpetrators of the slaughter are less than useless. No matter how many people vote uncommitted on February 27th, the U.S. government and the Biden administration, the Democratic and Republican parties, will continue to supply the genocidal Zionist regime with all the political, military, and economic support it needs to carry out the final solution of the Palestinian question. The question for workers and youth discussed it with the U.S.-Israeli genocide is not how to register a protest vote, but what is the social force capable of putting a stop to the slaughter? The fight to end war and genocide requires a turn to the working class. The international social force, comprised of billions of people all around the world, that not only produces all of society's wealth, but can stop the production and transfer of weapons through a mass general strike. This has been Paul Fuller for the World Socialist Website. The World Socialist Website is published by the International Committee of the Fourth International, the ICFI, the leadership of the World Socialist Movement, the Fourth International founded by Leon Trotsky in 1938. The World Socialist website relies entirely on the donations of readers and listeners for financial support. To give to the WSWS or to set up a regular monthly contribution, go to wsws.org forward slash donate. We urge our listeners to join the International Committee of the Fourth International and one of its affiliated political parties and take up the struggle for socialism 